next three things you need to do and focus on that. So right, I'll almost do. like reverse engineer the problem out. Yeah, in small yeah. Bi- in small bites, I agree. Yeah, just, you know, don't look that far ahead. <laughs>
when I finally left there, finally decided I had enough of Madison, I needed to get a diploma. It was 1982, you know, and it's like, oh, man. I mean, I, I felt when we went through 2008, 2009, and everybody was looking for a job then. I said, you know, hey, I've been there before. So yeah, um, I knew I wanted to be in this business. It took me a while to get there. So my first job was with a stainless steel fabricator in the Milwaukee area. I didn't know you couldn't live on $6 an hour. So, um, <laughs> but I fortunately had some friends there, year and a half there. Then I went, uh, my next move was to a, a equipment dealer in um, Minneapolis and then about a year and a half, two years there. And then finally, Bob Rippey was looking for somebody. I had sent my resume to Bob, you know, every time I was looking for a job. And finally, the third time was a charm. So he was looking for somebody. Yeah. And yeah, so I mean, that was nice. that was great to be there. I mean, finally had a job where, you know, I was always looking for more to do. It's like I got to, I got to, got to Rippy. He's like, oh, I you could have all the work you want. So nice. Now you've been with Rippy obviously for a long time. For you personally, I know Rippy does a lot of different type projects. But are there, you know, top three or four segments that you specialize in more than others? More now the hospitality and probably, you know, we spent a lot of our time working on Native American gaming projects. So, yeah. Um, but I mean, I mean, when did I start in 86? And then we didn't get into, we got our first casino project in 94, I think. So whatever that is, um, you know, I had a, somebody I had worked with in one of my previous jobs, got a job with a local casino company and we got the opportunity. So, but, but the, before that we were, all we did was hospitals. So. Yeah. Now, is yeah. there, when you're doing a casino, is there anything that's, you know, like there is when you're working on a prison, there's stuff you got to think about. There's a lot of rules and regulations that work around casinos. So is there anything when you're designing something for a casino that you have to be more careful of than you do a regular hospitality? I mean, I think, you know, it's sort of like everybody wants an over the top experience. So you have to be careful. You know, we do bring a little bit of that experience we got from healthcare in terms of, you know, they were probably the first ones to watch labor and worry about efficiency. So we try yeah. to bring that there, you know, um, you know, so you've got a lot of enthusiastic people on the food and beverage side and the casino. They want to do everything. You know, they've got, a, you know, one idea right. and that this is the place to do it. So we we try to get them to think about a little metrics about, you know, OK, on a Saturday night, how many people do we have here? You know, how many how many you know seats do we need on a busy Saturday night? So we just give them a little yeah. reality check and sort of say, OK, yeah, we can have, you know, do you need 500 seats or do you really just need 350 or right. Like so, I mean, we want to make sure and, it's whatever we do is fun in the end, you know, because everybody's looking for a, you know, they're looking for an experience. They want to get away, but uh, right. let's make sure that they can sustain it. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when you're getting ready to design uh, one of your projects, um, what's your method of madness of working? Are you a, a sketch it out on a, on a piece of paper or a napkin first? Are you, you know, tracing paper still type start, or do you go right to the computer and now get into it drawing. I mean, what what is your preferred method of working still? Yeah, I probably a sketch it out person. Um, you know, I like to do that. Um, I, you know, that's changed a little bit since COVID and you know more uh, Zooms and Teams and things like that. But you know, um, in one of the projects that I'm really proud of is the Surly Brewery. You know, here in, in yeah, Minneapolis. Yeah. And when we first started working with that, it was just a you know, it was, it was the chef and then they came, she came into our office and we were just started, you know, even before we knew they didn't have a site, we were just trying to figure out how big <laughs> the building was, you know, and we're just saying, okay, so let's take each, you know, there were three, there was, you know, beer hall, a beer garden, and then there was a high-end beer restaurant. Um, so we said, well, let's break it down into pieces. We just, I just drew on the whiteboard and said, okay, so what's this person doing? What's, you know, 
you know, what's this okay. person doing at this station? What's this person doing at that station? And then we figured out what it was and we took a picture of what was on the whiteboard and we put some dimensions on it and, you know, that went into a space program. So, and I, nice. yeah, go, I still, you know, I mean, I learned the kind of the sketch paper from Bob Rippey. He would always right. do that. We would come to a meeting and he'd ask for a background and he'd have rolls of sketch paper. And that, <laughs> you know, you, you walk away with, you're working with everybody's going to work there and then they're invested in that solution. You right. know, if you don't do that, you're going back and forth via fax or email. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I've I've switched a little bit to Bluebeam <laughs> just because yeah. I didn't I didn't have a scanner where I was working. So, <laughs> so we try to do the same thing. We call it blue board, you know, Bluebeam whiteboarding. So, what um, is there anybody are, that's had like a bigger influence on you and your career so far that you, that you can think of, like somebody that really had an impact? Oh, certainly, you know, Bob Rippey, just kind of, um, you know, as a mentor, you know, he wasn't, yeah. uh, I'm going to teach you how to do this. He said, you know, it was sort of like, here, you can watch me. And if you learn from that, that's great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and even when I would go to him, with, you know, when, when I started working in hospitality, which was different than healthcare, you know, I, like, you know, I would say, well, I'm trying to get this thing figured out. And he was not an L, you know, working elbow guy. He was like, okay, well, give me the, give me the drawing and I'll work on it for a while. And I come back and yeah. tell you what I did. So that was a, you know, um, a big influence, you know, and, you know, and, and, and I always remember like, you know, I'd get overwhelmed where I would come to and say, you know, I need some help or whatever. And he wouldn't necessarily give me any help. He'd just sort of say, well, you know, somebody told me, you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time, you know, just sort yeah. of like calm down, <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, just figure out what's the, you know, the, the next three things you need to do and focus on that. So, right. Uh, almost like reverse engineer the problem out Yeah, in small, yeah. in small bites. I agree. Yeah. Just, you know, don't look that far ahead. Well, obviously that was big shoes to fill when you took over Rippy Associates uh, from Bob that ran the company for a long time. Um, and now that you're president of, of the company, like how has it, or has it, I guess would be the question, has it changed in the last three to five years, you know, COVID and then coming out of COVID and then kind of where do you see you're taking the firm over the next maybe three to four years as well? Well, sure. You know, I mean, and I wasn't, unfortunately, uh, when I took it over from Bob, you know, we have, you know, Terry Pellegrino and Christine, right. obviously, you know, Christine's capabilities and Connie. Yeah. And now we've got Eric. So it was never, you know, I was never the sole rainmaker. So it right. was always, uh, you know, I was just, the, you know, kind of thinking of myself as kind of the caretaker, you know, because they're <laughs> all they're being successful on our own. You know, it's just like, you know, all the people, somebody has to sign the contract. Somebody has to be the president. All Okay, I'll do that. So, <laughs> you know, and we, you know, we've got a great group of people. Um, you know, I always like to think of them in terms of perfectionists. You know, they, yeah. they don't all agree on what perfection is, but they all agree that, you know, you know, we got to try to achieve perfection. So, yeah. And uh, we've been able to add some people recently. So I'm excited about the future. So, yeah. um, you know, I've known you for a long time and, and I, and I, you know, when we get ready for these, I do a lot of, try to do a lot of research on people and everything. Um, and I, and I've known this about you for a while. You're kind of known as a, I don't know what I would call it, but say, let's, let's just say you're a professional restaurant patron, I guess. <laughs> um, and, and I know you, when you travel, you search out places to try all around the world. And I know you're a world traveler with, and, and a good wine connoisseur and everything else. So, I'm not going to put you on the spot for the best, but give me the top three places you've had for a meal around the okay. world. 
Okay. Yeah. Um, well, let's see. I, I can't remember. Probably it was 2008 or whatever. Uh, Anne and I, my wife, went to, to Spain, you know, and uh-huh. um, we had, you know, we um, we didn't eat at El Bulli, um, but we, we um, ate it at uh, uh, two places that are, you know, up on the Michelin, you know, Michelin top five. Yeah. Um, you know, so that was great. Um, but I mean, so for a while, that's what I wanted to do. I was like, okay, I'm going to go there. This place is famous. Let's go. You know, I yeah. just don't have the patience for that anymore. We were, I mean, it's so, <laughs> we were, I don't know, we came to uh, Lima, Peru, whatever. We were going to, this was a trip where we went to Machu Picchu and we went to the Atacama Desert. And so yeah. we went to one of these, you know, place, I, a chef that I had seen in California at the Culinary Institute, Worlds of Flavor. You know, there's kind of a point where I just kind of hit the wall on this 13 course tasting menu. So now I'm going to look for a place that's, uh, you know, I'm going to look for the best barbecue place or some kind of hole in the wall or something like yeah. that. I just don't, you know, I just like, I just want to have good, simple food. So. Yeah, it does. Uh, the, the tasting menus, while they're amazing and you get to try new things, there is a point in your life where you're like, I don't want to be here for four hours anymore. Yeah. Like it's just, it takes the entire night away. So, you know, while the food is, spectacular usually um you hope it is anyway uh it's still a long time and a, and a hell of a time commitment right and not to mention the financial right so yeah well that yeah exactly yeah, yeah you pay for that top five or top ten right for sure um what's one thing about steve carlson that when somebody meets you or or gets to know you just a little bit what's one thing about you that they would never guess could be a you know, hobby they, or an interest or something. Yeah. You know, it's funny because um, probably the one, maybe one thing that they wouldn't know is that, you know, every year for the last 10 years, I've, I've uh, participated in the American Berkebiner ski race. So, um, and uh, we have a, we've been visiting this area of Wisconsin, Cable, Wisconsin for probably 15 years or so. And we, we bought a house there 12 years ago. And, uh, First, we volunteered to be, you know, help with the race, and then, and then my wife says, "Hey, we're going to do this." So, um, so that and that for me is next Wednesday. So I've got to oh, ski. Wow. I got to ski fifty-five kilometers. So, um, wow. it's kind of that. It, the good thing about that is you kind of got this weight hanging over your head, like you know, I'm going to have to go out there. And I mean, it took me <laughs> almost seven. It takes me almost seven hours. You know, there's there's a lot of wow. people on industry that do it. I mean. Yeah, some that are younger doing about half that time, but uh, that's probably the one thing that you know people may not know is like, so it, it keeps us uh, keeps us outside and and in shape over the winter, you know. So that yeah, we can, I bet. So we can make it through that race. So so with that race, is it kind of like a marathon where you have to? Because I'm not familiar with it. Is it kind of like running a marathon where you have to time out your hydration and your food along the way as well? Yeah, so they have aid stations along the way that have water. And then, um, I mean, I'd, I'd never done anything where you exercise that long, you know, where yeah. you thought that, you know, you, you know, I had, we got a lot of lessons as we were preparing for this and they say, you know, you got to eat. So, um, yeah. it's about every, you know, seven to 10 kilometers is an aid station. You want to make sure you have whatever, you know, I take cliff shots, you know, that's like, yep. you know, where else can you, uh, you know, eat cake frosting every <laughs> every every exactly. 20 minutes right and just and not feel guilty about that yeah. so yeah so you have to be you know the day before and i learned this later because i 
the first time I did it, the, uh, you know, it's, it's 55 kilometers. I think it's like 33 miles. So I got terrible cramps and somebody said, you know, you really, the next day, just drink water all day long, make sure your, you know, your muscle cells are fully hydrated. So that's, yeah. Otherwise yeah. it will be pretty painful. So. Yeah, uh, it's hard to believe by looking at me now, but I used to run half marathons, and and mm-hmm. and I never I never did a full. I just never had the uh, kind of the ADD part of me probably just never said I could do that far. But even the half marathon, I had to time it out to where those cliff shots um, would at least one during the half marathon. Because if you didn't, you still got really kind of worn down by the end. And that you're just one little, hit the wall and then it's too late if you haven't done it all the way along. Right. right. And staying yeah. hydrated throughout the whole thing. You yeah. think yeah. I was always worried when I first started doing them that, well, I'm going to have to stop and go to the bathroom along the way if I keep drinking <laughs> as much, but you find out, no, you're not, you're burning enough off of it. You're not going to have to do that. And I yeah. wasn't very fast anyway. Uh, for me, it was more about the journey and, and, completing it and being proud of myself for that than I was trying to win anything. Um, but you really, you, the more you do, obviously, and, and the more you reach research out, you do find out you've got to do some of these things or else you could hurt yourself. Yeah. You could really get in trouble, you know, yeah. and I, I'm with you. I think that the worker binder uses this, this term finisher. I like that. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I don't care what my time is, but I just, I did it. I finished it. I made it to the end. So. Yeah, I used to love the one they had these shirts at times, and it was like, um, a D was a DNF is greater than DNS, which is do not start, and then greater than it was like last place. Like even the guy that comes in last place is still better off than the person that didn't start it and the other person that didn't finish it and everything else. Yeah. So yeah. it was. Uh, I know I screwed that up, and somebody will probably correct me in the comments here. But nonetheless, <laughs> it was always better to. It was always better to finish. the The philosophy was: it's better to finish dead last than to not even attempt it at all. So right, right. It is um, that you got to focus on the journey because if you, it's too long to think about. You know, you, you certainly can't see the finish. When you also get to enjoy the area around you when you're not yeah, trying to win it. Yeah, like yeah. I ran Louisville, Kentucky, Las Vegas, Nevada, and Chicago. And I got to run up and down the strip of Vegas, which was very cool because it was closed mm-hmm. for us. Um, you go through Churchill Downs when you're doing the oh, Kentucky, cool. Der- Kentucky Derby half marathon. So you actually run around the infield. And so it's just, it was going about the journey actually at that point. So. I'd love to tell you I loved it and kept doing it, but man, I didn't. And it was still even half marathon was too long for me. I, I would get my mind would start racing at about eight to ten miles, and just like man, you start thinking about everything else you could be doing right now. And <laughs> I just never. People kept saying, "Keep moving, keep moving, and you'll get the runners high or whatever." And I, I never held. I never had that. I just had the runners like, "Is this thing over with yet?" Hard to stay in the moment when it's, the moment is that long, right? So exactly, exactly. Um. So anybody that's been in industry for a long time, I love asking this question, and that is, what has been your greatest either mistake or screw up, whatever you want to call it? What's something you've done in your career that you're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that? But but also not just to poke fun at somebody. It's more about what did you do and how did you learn from it so you'd make sure it didn't happen again? Yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, I don't know if this is this is the only mistake of me or the one I should focus on, but I, I, I have to say I was uh, comforted, reassured when I listened to the first couple of these things. And when you asked this, a similar question, you know, yeah. um, the answer was uh, how many of my fellow consultants own dish machines? So, 
mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> through yeah. no intention of their own, you know. Um, Absolutely. And, I, and I, we've got that one. We own two. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think that that's a big one. Absolutely. Yeah. But I think what I learned from that, you know, it's easier for me now to solve a problem like that because it's, it's my money that I'm the owner, you know, right. I mean, it was harder when, when something happened, when Bob was the owner, I'd have to go to him and, you know, I knew what the right thing was to do, but I wasn't the one who was paying for it. Right. Right. But I, you know, what I, what I, in, you know, we all, we're all going to make mistakes. Um, the thing that I learned from that is get in front of them, go out there yeah. and say, yep, we're responsible for this. Um, you know, it might've been, you know, we recommended, we specified it, right? So we own it, you know, and in, in many cases, you end up having to work with the manufacturer, something might not be um, performing properly, but you gotta, you gotta own that. And you gotta go to the owner and say, we're going to fix this. And, and yeah. here's what I think the solution is. What do they think? You know, and it's, it's good to have insurance. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I know you've got a wide range of, of ages and experience at Rippy Associates. So, What's one piece of advice you give to someone thinking of becoming a food service consultant, um, regardless whether they're recent college graduate or somebody that's looking to do a career transition after being in operations? Um, what's that piece of advice you'd give to them before they become a consultant? Oh, you know, why were you screwing around with what you're doing before then? I, I can't think of a, I just think about what, you know, as Connie kind of phases out. Every time I talk to her, she says, you know, this has been the most fun job I ever had, you know, and she came from uh, yeah. working for Sodexo and food service operations. I just think it is a great job. I mean, you yeah. know, we, we all just got back from Orlando. We got to see all that exciting equipment. We got to go to a lot of events where we had great food, you know, yeah. I mean, what other industry can you, you know, work in where it's all about food yeah. and yeah. beverage and, uh, yeah. um, you know, helping people. I mean, you get an opportunity, no matter what market segment you go, you go to some places, I mean, I was somewhere or the other, you know, 30 years old kitchens and walk-ins and hoods. It's like, yeah. you know, there's nowhere to go but up, right? Right. And they're so appreciative, right? You come in there and you you you, you, you help them see things from a little further away. You're yeah. solving their problems. You're going to make their daily life that much better. Very satisfying. So. You know, so many consultants tell me when I make that call, I'm really wanting the answer. I don't need to know the whole fluff behind it. <laughs> I've already, for that point, I've yeah. already probably already decided I'm going to spec it. I really need to know the exact reason I'm calling and whatever that question may be. I know I have to, I want to be able to trust what that person is telling me that they're not just trying to sell me a piece of equipment. Yeah. And you, you know, you don't want something to go wrong, but I mean, that's an opportunity for a manufacturer, manufacturer's rep to really, you know, cement that relationship. Yeah. It's like, you know, are, are they going to help get it resolved? So, and the other right. thing is, you know, I think the people that are really successful in those roles are ones that understand, you know, what different consultants market segment are, you know? Yeah. You know, don't tell me about the fryer that McDonald's uses because we don't, we don't do chain work, you know? Right. Exactly. Under, under, you know, you know, know your, know your audience. So, yeah. So. Well, that's all the formal questions I've got for oh. you, Steve, but as you know, I'm always going to have some questions yeah. at the end that are a little more fun. Uh, we've went back to the well for some of the questions we used in seasons one through four. So hopefully you'll enjoy some of the ones we chose. Okay. Um, the first one is, would you rather be able to teleport anywhere in the world or be able to read people's minds? Oh, I'd rather teleport. You know, I'd like to yeah. remain ignorant of people, what people are thinking <laughs> <laughs> or find out through normal conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So. 
Would you rather have all the traffic lights you approach turn green or never have to stand in line again? Oh, I got, I hate standing in line. So. <laughs> I agree. Uh, would you rather fight a duck the size of a horse or 100 horses the size of a duck? I'd rather fight the big duck. So The big duck. Perfect. Um, the big one, toilet paper. When you put it on the roll, is it over or under? Over the top, just as I was right. taught by my wife. That's right. All I, right. You know, I, I'm the guys I've talked to. It's like they give them, you know, the wife gives them permission to blow the, the paper towel the other way. That's okay. <laughs> Double dipping when it comes to food, whether it's a, a sauce or, uh, you know, some kind of dip. Yes or no to double dipping? Uh, if I'm the only one there, yeah. Otherwise, no way. So, Okay. Um, favorite curse word? And and we will bleep it out, but what's your favorite curse word? Yeah, it's got to probably be the F-bomb probably comes the most frequently. Okay. Yeah. Would you Especially rather know? Skiing, so. What's that? Especially when skiing. When I'm oh, yeah. Fall. <laughs> yeah. Mile number 30 next week will be just a string of F-words. Of F-bombs. <laughs> Would you rather know all the secrets to outer space or know all the secrets to the ocean? Oh, I'm more interested in the ocean. So. Okay. There, there's, there's food there. So. That's true. Uh, we hope there's no food in outer space, but <laughs> you never know. Um, would you rather never have to do laundry again or never have to do dishes again? Oh, oh dishes. I think I don't mind doing laundry. So Okay. Would you rather go backstage with your favorite band or be an extra on your favorite TV show? Oh, let's see. I have to say the band. So, and then, and of course, I'm going to follow it up with what band would that be? Yeah. If it could be any band, past or present. Oh man. So, and I have to admit, I you know I don't watch television. So, all right. <laughs> <laughs> and most of the most of the music I listen to are uh, you know uh, are, is uh, vintage jazz. So most of those guys are gone. So you know, yeah. You know, that's all right. Full train and so that'd be good. Yeah. Um, would you rather have a personal housekeeper or a personal chef? Oh, I go with a personal chef. I mean, I like to cook once in a while, right? But uh, yeah, yeah. But to have somebody every day, that'd be great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I yeah. I can make recommendations. It'll just all be ready. So. Exactly. Would you rather always have an annoying song stuck in your head or always have an itch that you can't reach? Ooh, I'd go with the annoying song. Yeah. Well, that's all I've got for you today, Steve. But before we let you go, uh, let people know how they can find out more about you and Rippy. Well, thanks, Wade. Yeah, just go ahead and visit our webpage, rippyassociates.com. You can check out all our staff, all our projects. and uh, Yeah. Well, that wraps up this edition of On Tap, presented by FCSI The Americas. So special thanks to Steve for joining us today on the show. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to like and subscribe to our channel. And also help us out by sharing these episodes on your social media feeds. Until our next episode, cheers.